0: Hello and welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you will find real Asian American conversations about topics and subjects you were too afraid or embarrassed to ask your Asian parents about. Hi, I'm your host, Sasha Fu. On today's show, we will be going far beyond the bounds of Earth to talk about space and space exploration. Our special guest today is former NASA astronaut, Dr. Leroy Chow. Dr. Chow is Chinese-American. In his 15 years at NASA, he flew three space shuttle missions. On a fourth mission, Chow served as the commander of the International Space Station. He has the distinction of performing six, six spacewalks and spending a total of 229 days in space. In 2005, Dr. Chow left NASA, moving to the private sector, and most recently, he's founded the company known as One Orbit, which is focused on keynote speaking and corporate training. One Orbit also presents educational programs for schools. Welcome, Dr. Chow. This is a first. We've never had an astronaut on our program. Thanks for coming in today. Oh, thank you, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, please call me Leroy. Okay, we will. (laughs) First of all... I am always interested in people's origin stories and i'm intrigued about what goes into the quote making of an astronaut where were you born and raised and what were your experiences as a kid did you always aspire to be an astronaut
1: sure i was born in milwaukee wisconsin and when i was very young we moved to to wichita kansas and then finally moved out to the san francisco bay area when i was seven years old my parents were both originally from china in sangdong province and uh, they both ended up on taiwan right after the war they were still very young back then and they met each other some years later at university uh, got married and my older sister was actually born on taiwan but by the time i was born uh, they had both immigrated to the united states so i grew up in the san francisco bay area and you know i don't know for whatever reason uh, flying airplanes and rockets were something that that always fascinated me from a young age
0: What kind of education did you get? I I know you said in an earlier phone call that your parents were both uh, engineers. Did that influence your choice of occupations or your studies? And also, since you learned Mandarin, that was another component in terms of your early education. How did that inform your identity as an Asian American?
1: Sure. Yeah, my parents were both chemical engineers. They both studied chemical engineering on Taiwan. My father came uh, out to the United States first for graduate school, and he studied, you know, got his master's degree in chemical engineering. My mother followed him a year later, but back then in the mid-1950s, you know, there was uh, engineering was still very much dominated by males, and so Mm -hmm. uh, she was unable to get into the program, so she actually ended up getting her master's degree in chemistry, and then some years later actually got a doctorate in material science and engineering. So engineering was a big part uh, of my family and my upbringing. Uh, I have two sisters, one older, one younger, uh, neither one of them were, afe- were affected by the engineering culture and uh, did not go into technical fields, but uh, I very much did. I was interested in how things worked from a very young age, so pursuing a, a course in engineering was kind of a natural,
0: natural for me. Did you feel, I know that I'm speaking from my own background, that um, I'm Chinese American, that there is a tremendous pressure from families to be the best, to excel. Did you feel that growing up as well?
1: Well, yes, we, we grew up definitely in, in a dual culture family. My parents very much retained the, the Chinese culture at home, uh, particularly the work ethic and the importance of school and education. And then of course we grew up in, in mainstream American neighborhoods. So at school, uh, very much so I was you know, in, in a very Western culture I learned, all of us, all of the kids, we we simultaneously learned English and, and Mandarin Chinese growing up. So we were always bilingual. Uh, but uh, yeah, but I think we, we kind of took the best of both worlds from that.
0: How did learning Mandarin at an early age help you? Did you feel at some point that that was kind of a secret power for you? Well, it was kind
1: of funny because uh, it's very much like my own children. They, they grew up speaking uh, both Mandarin and English, too, because we had a Chinese nanny, even though my, well, my now ex-wife is, is not Asian. She's not Chinese. But uh, but they you know they it's still in there. I can still speak to them in Mandarin. They still understand and they can pretty much speak back to me. But uh, wow. I think it helps you a lot. It gives you perspective, especially growing up in the two cultures and and uh, coming up you know growing up with two languages at a very young age. I think that sets you up to be able to learn other languages as well. And so when I uh, studied Russian as an adult and because of my preparation for the space station mission, uh, that came, it was still difficult, but it came easier for me than other people who did not grow up bilingual.
0: Yeah, I think that's true for many people who say they've uh, they've mastered more than one language. And I guess I wish that uh, schools had more of an emphasis on diversifying our language and cultural experiences in that way. I'd like to hear more about what goes into the selection of an astronaut. What are the traits that NASA looks for?
1: I think that all candidates, you know, by the by the time that they actually apply to NASA, they've all been accomplished technically and otherwise. Uh, and so I think what it really comes down to is what your references have to say about you, why you they think you might be a good candidate. And if you're actually selected to interview, then I think what they're looking for is is this a person that I can get along with? Is this a person who can work well in a team? You know, being a leader when it's appropriate, being a follower when it's appropriate. In other words, is this a person I'd like to go on a space mission with? So most of the board (laughs) members, the selected board members, are astronauts. And so I think that's the main question they're asking themselves. Is this someone I would want to fly with?
0: Pretty good question. I suppose there are people who have annoying personality traits, like the person who won't shut up, um, stuff like that. (laughs) Trivial stuff that might seem... um, yeah you know, trivial on earth, yeah, well, it's not so trivial
1: when you're putting a team together that's going to be in a small confined space for a long period of time, so it becomes very important whether you know this person is a team player and can you know, get along with others and is flexible and you know willing to to do what it takes to to get along and get the job done.
0: Leroy, I'm apologizing because this is not a very original question. It's this question I'm sure you get countless <laughs> times, but really, what is it like to be in space? <laughs> it's really a fantastic
1: experience it's uh, it's hard to imagine or describe completely it's a bit surreal Uh, you're up there you're floating it's a weird feeling especially the first time you're dizzy for uh, the first uh, day or so because your balance system is trying to make sense or your brain is trying to make sense of these signals coming from your balance system at the same time the view of the earth is spectacular the colors are very bright and looking through the horizon at the sunlight passing through our atmosphere causes it to glow these beautiful bright shades of blue. So uh, very, very beautiful, wonderful experience, but at the same time, quite surreal.
0: (laughs) Yeah, in addition to obviously the physical spectacle, did you have any of these, I might call it sort of these metaphysical thoughts about what is the meaning of life? What is our relationship to the universe? Thoughts on that line?
1: I, I think we, I think we all do. I think uh, I don't think anyone flies into, into space without some pretty serious introspection and thoughts about what it's all about. Why are we here? What does life mean? You know, what else is out there? So very much so. Yes, I think the biggest thing, the biggest effect that had had on me is to kind of give me a, a more of a bigger perspective of what things, uh, you know, about life and what it really means. And of course, we don't really know, but it just kind of made me appreciate life a lot more. And it made me stop worrying about small things that really don't matter. You know, I used to be the kind of person that would be irritated if I felt like I'd been overcharged for something or. or or something like that. But uh, I learned to let that all go. It's really not that important.
0: (laughs) It would be nice and fanciful to think that you could spend most of your hours on the shuttle, looking out the window and gazing at the majesty of the universe. But we know that's not true. There's a lot of work to be done. Can you tell us a little bit about the actual work or tasks that you were assigned to do?
1: Sure. I mean, on any space mission, your your day, your schedule is planned down to the minute. And, uh, you know, you've got a schedule on a computer that you're trying to stay on. You've got experiments to do. You've got maintenance work to do. Uh, Logistics, you know, simple things like finding items for disposal or finding items for the next experiment. Uh, You're doing maintenance work, scheduled maintenance, changing filters, changing burned out light bulbs, um, you know, um, all kinds of things. Sometimes uh, you get to go do a spacewalk. So that's very exciting. Of course, you're very well trained for that, but it takes a lot of getting all the pieces together, getting the suits prepared, and then going through the process of getting dressed and and the procedures for shutting down the station basically, and then getting outside and then reversing that process of getting back inside and reactivating the station. So a lot of work going on. Not all of it is exciting. A lot of it is mundane. Like I said, gathering items for trash, uh, cleaning up, things like that. But uh, you're definitely very busy.
0: What was it like to be on your first spacewalk? I imagine the novelty of that. I know you've trained for that, but still the reality of actually being outside the shuttle or the space, you know, the space station and taking those.
1: Yeah, no, that was, a, that was really, a, that was really surreal. You know, it was like being in a dream. Uh, first time I opened the hatch and went outside and got that face full of the earth through my spacesuit, my helmet. Uh, you know, it was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And of course you're very well trained. So you know what to do. You're out there for a long time. You're out there. Each spacewalk is planned for about six and a half hours. Um, you know, but it's, it's nothing prepares you for that first impression or image of what it's like to be outside, realizing that you're outside in your own personal spacecraft, which really is what a spacesuit uh, is. You know, it's, it's got your life control system or life life support system, the, uh, oxygen, of course. Uh, you've got some carbon dioxide scrubbing systems and thermal control to keep you warm enough. But, um, you know, it's, it's kind of weird looking through the back window and you see your buddies inside of the space shuttle who are waving at you, but they're only three feet away, but they can do nothing to help you. you know? <laughs> you're outside uh, with, a, with a partner, but you're kind of alone in that you're in your own spacesuit. But it's a, it's a great experience. It's uh, not at all like the movies. It's a very physical Uh, experience. You've got to be in good physical condition. You're working against the pressure of the suit every time you move your arms or your fingers. You're working against that pressure and so you have to be in in good physical condition uh, to do the work. Also it's uh, cumbersome because you've got these big heavy gloves on. You've got uh, limited visibility in your helmet but uh, you're expected to use these tools and, and do the tasks you're supposed to do. And so I'm very proud to have contributed to helping to actually build, actually turn wrenches and bolts and and build the International Space Station.
0: What an amazing and definitely a singular achievement. Not many people can say that they've done that. (laughs) Were there any instances where people actually got a little bit freaked out by that and had to go back into the uh, shuttle?
1: Yeah, in the history of spaceflight, yes. There have been a couple of cases where people were kind of freaked out by the experience. In the early shuttle days, there was a U.S. astronaut who... Actually, um, you know, was a little bit freaked out and grabbed on so tightly to the handrails that he actually strained the muscles in his forearm. And eventually, everything was okay, but he had, you know, actually injured himself because he was kind of so freaked out about being out there. Uh, on the Russian side, at least one instance I know of, there was a, uh, a cosmonaut who was so freaked out about being outside he kind of froze and didn't do any of the activities he was supposed to do. And, and finally was able to get, you know, the other person outside was actually finally able to get him inside the airlock at the end of the spacewalk and repressurize, but he was kind of freaked out during the whole time and really was unable to do the things that he was supposed mm-hmm. to do. So it, it can happen. It has happened. Very rare, very, very rare, but it has happened on a few cases in occasions.
0: You talked about the need to be uh, in good physical condition in order to actually do some of these Mm -hmm. uh, activities assigned to the spacewalk. How do you maintain your physical conditioning in zero gravity? Well,
1: in zero gravity, uh, we do have exercise devices on board, and it's very important that you use them. Uh, You need it just for your health, not just to be in good physical shape for doing spacewalks, but just for your own health. So we have resistance exercise devices, we have cardiovascular devices. We have a treadmill on board. Of course, you have to use rubber bungees to hold yourself uh, down to the track. We have exercise bikes. We have resistance exercise devices that allow you to mimic weightlifting, and that keeps help keep your uh, bones and your muscles in shape. And we exercise two hours a day when we're on the station uh, because it's so important to keep that exercise going for your short, you know, middle and and long long term health.
0: I wanna ask you about your experience as the commander of the International Space Station, mm-hmm. obviously working with people, crew members from other countries. Right. In some ways, it's a large social experiment, right? Can everybody get along? Sure. Can you bridge cultural differences? What was that like?
1: Uh, it's not as difficult as you think because by the time a crew flies together, uh, we've spent a lot of time together and there was some thought into putting that crew together. In other words, when I was named as commander, I was asked, hey, you know, what do you think these people were thinking of putting on your crew? Are these people that you would definitely would be great or definitely would no way? You know, I mean, so I had a lot of input into who might be, you know, uh, assigned with me. And that that's very important because you're in a small confined space and not everyone can get along with each other. You know, in college, a lot of us have had experiences where maybe we were going to go live in an apartment with our best friend and then after a few months, we weren't best friends anymore, right? (laughs) Just because you're buddies with someone doesn't mean you can live in a confined space together. So, uh, you know, the part of the whole training program is to allow everyone to kind of get to know each other on all sides. And then, you know, it's easier to figure out who gets along and who can work well together.
0: So you were on this international space station for about six months. How many people were on that mission with you? And, um, did you feel like it was a productive mission?
1: Yeah, for the long haul, it was just two of us, just uh, myself and uh, a uh, Russian cosmonaut. Actually, his his family background was from Uzbekistan, so he's actually Central Asian, Salishan Sharipov. Uh, during the handovers, when we had crew exchanges, of course, and then we had five people on board. But uh, for the long haul, it was just the two of us. And I call Salishan the brother I never had. And a little piece of trivia He and I actually comprised the first all-Asian heritage crew in space, so that was kind of cool.
0: Very cool. Very cool. I was going to ask you a little bit about that. What is your aviator call sign, Leroy? So on the station, I informally
1: adopted the call sign of Sangdong, which is the province where both of my parents were originally from, Uh, at NASA. NASA didn't believe in having individual call signs for crews, and so it was an unofficial call sign. You know, NASA wanted everyone to call it, um, you know, International Space Station. Uh, the Russian tradition, on the other hand, is the commander gets to pick the call sign. And so uh, so I picked it for, for my crew.
0: But the um, selection of Sandang was an acknowledgement or a tip of your hat to your parents' heritage, right? Yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> and I thought it was interesting that you, I read that you took certain articles with you into space that were also a nod to your Asian roots. Can you tell us about that?
1: Sure. On my first mission, I wanted to take things from places where there were, you know, a large population of Chinese heritage uh, people. And so I asked China, Taiwan, and Hong Kong to, if they wanted to send me some kind of artifact that I would get approved from NASA and, you know, fly them aboard my first mission. And so China sent me a small Chinese flag. Uh, Hong Kong sent me a uh, a nice porcelain, I forget what the flower is called now, but it used to be the, the symbol of Hong Kong and a few other items. And then the State Department, the US State Department, wouldn't let me bring anything officially from Taiwan because they said they didn't want to upset <laughs> China. And so, actually, sure. the, the uh, local coordination uh, center um, actually did, did give me a small Confucian scroll that I flew informally in my own personal item, you know, locker to uh, commemorate the people of of Taiwan. And so I was able to accomplish that, uh, although unofficially for Taiwan.
0: I'm gonna betray my ignorance here. So you referred to the Russian crew members in some of the missions. Have there been uh, representatives from China as well, right?
1: Not aboard the International Space Station. So uh, only Chinese Americans like me and the the Chinese have their own space program. They now have their own space station that they're beginning to operate. And so it's a completely separate, separate program.
0: Which brings me to my next question. Um, when we were growing, well, the back in the day, I don't want to reveal <laughs> exactly how old I am, but at some point there was uh, a lot of talk about the space race. I'm th- sure you remember sure. the rhetoric oh, yeah, about the space race, right? Who's going to yeah. be the first, you know, which country is going to be the first, uh, to go to the, the moon. moon. And, and yeah. clearly, you know, we excelled at that, but, um, do you, is there a, a competition, a sense of competition, like who, which country is going to be the first to colonize Mars? And what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so the 60s were a unique time. I mean, the space race and the race to the moon was kind of a unique situation, pitting the United States against the Soviet Union as, you know, we tried to one up each other and, and get to the moon. And of course, the United States won that. By getting to the moon. The Soviets never actually did get humans to the moon. Uh, so is there a space race now? Not really. I mean, there's a lot of cooperation that's been going on for the last several decades, uh, even though that's kind of in question now with, with the situation in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, and uh, uncertainty about how much longer Russia is going to cooperate with the United States. Also, China is forging ahead on their own. Uh, there used to be an, a, a Uh, a desire on China's part to work internationally with the United States and and, uh, our other partners. But uh, that is, uh, for political reasons on both sides, that has has waned, and they are pretty much going their own way, although they're open to other partners. uh, You know, so uh, we'll just kind of have to see how it goes. But the exciting part is the commercial side. And so SpaceX mm-hmm. is very much moving forward with their plans to try to uh, help NASA develop a lander for the moon. But more importantly, for SpaceX, is the goal of getting people to Mars. And Elon Musk, the founder and CEO of SpaceX, he's always said that he started SpaceX with that goal in mind of getting people to Mars and colonizing Mars. And he said he himself wants to be a colonist on Mars.
0: Yeah, lofty ambitions. In a sense, though, uh, Elon Musk's ambitions and his plans were also a response to the uh, United States government taking a step back from developing more space vehicles, correct? I mean, a lot of Americans, I don't think, even realize that this...
1: Well, NASA, yeah, frankly, like a lot of organizations, either government or commercial Uh, Once an organization gets too big, it becomes more bureaucratic, more inefficient. NASA is no longer the agency it was during the Apollo era or even during the shuttle era. And so companies like SpaceX who can stay, uh, have a relatively flat management structure, basically Elon Musk is in charge. And so they're able to react and work very quickly and in fact uh, I'm on an advisory panel for SpaceX and some of my NASA cohorts who who were around during the Apollo era said you know what SpaceX reminds them they said of the Apollo era of NASA except that instead of just having all men working there there's a nice mixture of men and women and but it's the same energy it's the same can do spirit and uh you know it's it's exciting to see what they're doing and i think the first spacecraft to Mars will be SpaceX
0: interesting so what I mean looking back do you think it was a mistake for the government the United States government to end um, the shuttle program and sort of uh, cease the development of further space vehicles
1: well I think it was a it was a mistake for the U.S. to end the shuttle program the shuttle was uh, you know there were there was a lot of life there were a lot of life left in those those vehicles we could have kept flying them and I think we should have uh, they did turn out to be have higher risk than we had anticipated, but we were learning a lot and we were mitigating those risks and we could have kept going. Now, we are still continuing to develop the next generation government vehicles. Artemis, uh, the lunar program to put people back on the moon, that is still go- ongoing, although the funding levels are not what really needs to, it needs to be in order to support that program to get humans back to the moon sooner rather than later. But that's kind of where we are, you know. The economy being what it is, um, it's difficult to argue for more funding for space exploration, and that's why I think it's exciting that you know commercial companies like SpaceX are moving forward uh, with their plans to explore space and to get us to Mars.
0: What are the greatest opportunities for the commercialization of space? I mean, we know obviously there's a very robust market for satellites. What else? is out there that we can mm-hmm. um, exploit and, and help the, our humankind here on earth.
1: Sure. Satellites is the big one, of course, and of all kinds of different satellites, earth observation satellites uh, for imaging, you know, of all different kinds, including looking at climate, looking at, um, you know, uh, changes over the years, things like that. Communications, all the telecommunications satellites, uh, imaging for uh you know all kinds of different reasons for agriculture for for military frankly you can buy these images now countries can buy these images high resolution images from these commercial companies that have these constellations that are frankly really very good very high resolution so that's the big area for commercial for other areas you know jeff bezos and blue origin his company his space company he has a vision of building infrastructure in space between here and the moon, between the earth and the moon called cislunar space. He wants to build factories and colonies in space. Mm-hmm. And so that's obviously not just around the corner, but he's in it for the long haul. And he's he says, you know, this is generational. It's going to take hundreds of years for this to develop. Uh, SpaceX, on the other hand, Elon Musk is interested in getting to Mars quickly. He wants to get his Starship, which is being developed right now, and has been making great strides over the last few years, he wants to get that to Mars and get humans on Mars, you know, uh, sooner rather than later. So there's an exciting landscape out there and uh, hopefully NASA can partner on some of those efforts and be a part of it. But uh, these commercial companies are going with or without
0: NASA. Would you, Leroy, be interested in going to Mars or are you kind of, well, kind of been there, done that? (laughs) Not quite to Mars. Well, but- yeah,
1: you know what? I would love, I would, <laughs> I would love to go to the moon because that's the program. I was eight years old when Apollo eleven landed on the moon, so I had this dream about going to the moon. Never did make it there, but if there's an opportunity, I'd like to go to the moon or even to Mars. You know, because by the time uh, we have a mission to the moon or Mars my children now i have twins i have a boy and a girl and they're 15 and so by the time a mission like that is mounted you know they should be on their way and uh, and be adults and and be able to take care of themselves so at that point uh, i would love to go on one one or both of those adventures
0: wow it's so exciting i mean as a kid we just thought about these things as being so some sort of sci-fi fantasy but some of these things are now becoming reality What about this area of space tourism? Yes. Space tourism. And you're talking about your kids Mm -hmm. going into space and being able to visit places like the moon. How far are we from actually having a robust market?
1: Well, I mean, the the tourism has started. I mean, we, you know, the Russians have flown several space space flight participants, as we call them, over the years, starting in the early 2000s. Uh, Of course, the price tag is huge, right? Right. Uh, The current price to go into space uh, either on a a commercial vehicle or on uh, with the Russians is somewhere between 50 and 75 million for about a week aboard the space station. Now, we have some efforts that companies that are offering quite a lower sum to just spend a few minutes into space, basically go up and touch space. So Blue Origin, they have their new Shepard spacecraft, Virgin Galactic, Richard Branson's uh, project. Our company, uh, they have their spacecraft, and for about 250000 thereabouts, uh, you can go and fly up and touch space, spend about three to five minutes in weightlessness, and then come back down and get that view of the Earth uh, just for a few minutes, though. That's
0: an expensive joyride.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is.
0: I don't know. I, I, I mean, as thrilling as it sounds, I'm wondering about the cost-benefit on that one. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. <laughs> um, recently, we heard headlines about Congress having these panels um, where they're talking about UB, UABs, um, the acronym for Unidentified Aerial yeah. Vehicles. Yeah, the UFOs. Yeah, uh-huh. UFOs, Unidentified Aerial yeah. Vehicles. Um, there were some people yeah. who said we saw aircraft or something that appears to be aircraft, but uh, did not seem to be something from our military or any other military on Earth. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Are, have we been visited by intelligent life from another planet or another universe?
1: No, I don't think we have. Um, and I can we can get into why I believe that. But uh, no, I think these programs are what they've always been. These unidentified flying objects or aerial vehicles. they've always turned out to be either natural phenomenon or you know optical illusions or secret military programs. Uh, it's always been one or the other. And I don't believe we've been visited by anyone else because I think I firmly believe there's intelligent life out there in the universe. We're not the only ones, but the universe is so vast. Uh, I think we're so spread out. We'll never, ever, ever find each other.
0: Well, we're going to have to wrap up Dr. Chow. So very briefly, what is one orbit, the company you founded, very briefly, what are you involved in with your new company? What are the missions?
1: Sure. Yeah. One One Orbit is a company uh, started about seven years ago with a, a professional educator as a business partner, and we specialize in corporate events, keynotes, workshops, things like that, and our other side is the sponsored education side where we send astronauts out to the STEM camps or we a company will hire us to not only do a corporate event, but to come in and visit the local schools is like a good neighbor. And it's good for the companies because then they hopefully will get a, a more motivated and educated uh, workforce that wants to go out and, and achieve things. So we, uh, we've we been doing that for a number of years. Of course, we, we went a little bit on hold on, during the pandemic, but it's all opening back up. So we're excited to get back out there and, and get at it
0: motivation and education two things that are always in fashion thanks so much for that and for your words of wisdom as i would say uh you're down to down to earth wisdom from a <laughs> <laughs> former nasa astronaut thank you so much dr chow i want to thank you for joining us and to learn more thank you. Um, to learn more about you your company and your endeavors how uh do you have a website you'd like to tell our vis- our listeners about Absolutely. So my company website
1: is oneorbitcdr.com And my personal website is my first and last name.com l e r o y c h i a o. So uh, yes, please come and visit our websites. Or if you Google me, you should be able to find both. Um, But uh, yeah, we look forward to to all kinds of opportunities. and, And thank thank you
0: for the opportunity today. Thanks for joining us. So uh, we're wrapping up here. If you have any suggestions for future topics for Asian voices, we'd love to hear from you. Also be sure to subscribe as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next week, I'm Sasha Fu. And I want to thank you all for listening. Please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices radio show. Until then, take care, everyone.